As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keane, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. We are thrilled to have one of our good friends back. Noel Rubini is the CEO of Rubini Macro Associates, but far more than that, someone who brilliantly was out front of previous crises. We'll keep the uh, introduction short uh, this morning. Noriel, good morning to you. How is this crisis different than 98? How is this crisis different than 2008? Well, compared to 2008 right now, we don't have the credit risk yet. We're not in a recession, and the losses that occurred seem to be related to market risk. A number of financial institutions did not realize that with rising interest rates, the price of bonds would fall. And last year, uh, U.S. banks alone have something like $620 billion of unrealized losses on their securities with a capital of about $2.2 mm-hmm. So the average loss is about 28%, will reduce significantly the capital ratio, the tier one ratio. For some banks, actually, the numbers like uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, of course, the number was 100%, but there are still other regional banks where right. to real losses, there'll be 50% of their current capital. No, so I, I want to go back to your Italian economics, your public service to President uh, Clinton, where you were expert on the regulatory framework. Switzerland is a devolved federal government with the cantons with great strength. What is your knowledge of Swiss regulators right now? How removed are they from the Credit Suisse crisis? Or can they be active today to help their beleaguered bank? Well, uh, they can be active today, even if they have a system that is uh, delegated. However, the problem is that Credit Suisse, by some standards, might be too big to fail, but also too big to be saved. It's not clear that unlike the United States, the federal system has enough resources to engineer a bailout. And uh, what they need certainly is more capital. And the question is whether they're going to get that capital or not. Otherwise, bad things can happen. Well, bad things are happening this morning. Noriel, I'd love your take on this. There might be some people waking up this morning, looking at what's happening with Credit Suisse, perhaps perhaps based here in the United States and thinking, what does this mean for me? Why is this important? Could you explain to those people, Nouriel, just how important Credit Suisse might be to the financial system? Well, it's important because SVP was only about $150 billion of assets, while in the case of Credit Suisse, we're speaking about at least $700 billion. So anything will happen to Credit Suisse will be of systemic effect for not just the European financial system, but also for the global financial system. 
So if, uh, if Silicon Valley Bank creates a ripple effects in global financial market, something bad happening to Credit Suisse will be an order of magnitude more severe, something more like a Lehman moment. A lot of people are, are talking about the implications of this on monetary policy. And Torsten Slock earlier said, when the facts change, his view changes from no landing to a hard landing. He sees uh, perhaps the end of a rate hiking cycle, as does the market, including 100 basis points of cuts in the next year. Nuriel, do you agree with this assessment? Have the facts changed where suddenly rate hikes are out of the picture and you see that the inflation story will get solved by a, a crisis elsewhere? Uh, I don't think so. I think that the dilemma for central bank has gotten even worse because the latest economic data for inflation in the Eurozone or the U.S. suggests that inflation is still too high, is falling, but is not falling as fast as the Fed or ECB wanted to be. So based on what's the economy doing right now, we need to hike and hike much more. The Fed should go at least closer to 6%. The ECB should bring the deeper rate to at least 4%. The problem right now, we're facing a situation of financial instability, and financial instability would suggest to stop hiking, maybe even cutting rates, maybe even resuming quantitative easing. And what the Fed has done is backdoor quantitative easing. But if you do that, you have a risk of the anchoring of inflation, inflation expectation. That trade-off existed even before. Raising rates would have led to stresses in financial market, like last year, where bond yields went much higher, credit spread widened. That stress is becoming more severe today because now we have systemic financial problems, but we are also in a situation inflation is still way too high. And the idea that this financial stress is going to cause inflation to drop is not yet in the economic data. So there is a dilemma for central banks. Although a lot of people are saying that they see credit conditions tightening. We heard earlier from Larry Fink of BlackRock saying that he sees a slow rolling crisis that's going to move from the banking system to private credit, to private equity. How does your view kind of tie into this, the sort of inherent credit tightening that we see across a whole host of assets? Certainly there's going to be a tightening of financial conditions, at least in terms of credit spreads. Bond yields are falling, but on the short and long end, that's an easing of financial condition that eventually might lead to an economic slowdown. But the reality is inflation today is way too high and it's going to remain too high because the forces that are leading to high inflation, like, for example, very tight labor market are still with us. And therefore, that's going to be a cause of persistent inflation. And the idea that eventually tightening of financial conditions is going to cause a slowdown of the economy and a weakening of inflation is not yet in the data. So there is a real contradiction between achieving economic stability and lower inflation and maintaining financial stability today. What a conflict. What a conflict. Nuri, I've got 45 seconds left. I wanted to give you the opportunity to try and answer this. Banks found out that a risk was where they thought the safety was. Nuri, where's the safety now? Well, the safety is not in long-term treasuries. I've been writing for it for over a year. You know, if average inflation were to be, say, 5%, 10-year treasury eventually would have to be 7%. Today, they're around 35 Last year, you lost 20% on your safe bonds, more than you lost on your S&P because yield went from 1 towards 3. If they go from 35 to 7 over the medium term, there'll be further bloodbath on $23 of long-duration risk assets. The solution is going to be short-term treasury, tips, gold, precious metals and other hedges against inflation. That's where you have to go. And investors only now have started to realize it, that that's what you have to do. 
It's going to be a conversation you and I have, the whole of this team, for a long time. Nouria, thank you, sir. Nouria Rabini there of Rabini Macro Associates and Tom, of course, the author of Mega Threats. Peter Chair, Head of Macro Strategy at Academy Securities, joins us. Pete, let's talk about it. 197, I think we're all sort of glued on the intraday chart, tick for tick at the moment. Pete, what's your take on what's unfolding? You know, I'm watching the CDS market. We've seen the one-year jump to, say, eight to nine points up front. So someone has to pay eight or 9% of principal to ensure the credit risk for a year. Part of that's concerning because you're starting to see the curve invert so there's a bid for front end cds having said that i think two things that are mitigating that are liquidity is still just abysmal so liquidity is low european credit default swap liquidity is not what it once was so the moves can be exaggerated and it is a name that people hold so much that they do need to hedge people have been playing around in the cocos various uh, parts of the cap structure so you do get this volatility it is a bit concerning though that at every you know, it seems to be reaching new highs in terms of CDS spreads. So I'm watching that. And I think one lesson all the U.S. banks should be taking is when it comes to capital raising, you have to be aggressive and get it done early. Right. This seems to be today's story is about not raising capital maybe a few months ago. And that's what's hurting them today. I think every U.S. bank that's kind of in that weaker end should be thinking, how do I raise capital? Because we in the U.S. have to fill that big void of the unmarked, uh, you know, unrealized losses in treasuries. Pete, some financial institutions that some people had never heard of were declared systemically important by regulators in order to make depositors whole over the weekend in America. How would you describe the importance of Credit Suisse to the financial system? You know, it's an incredibly important company. It's a awesome company. It's, as you say, we all know people who are there. I think we need to see this get resolved because the one thing we do tend to see unfortunately is if one gets into trouble people very quickly start looking oh what's the next one that looks remotely like this and it may be unfair but that's kind of the pattern we saw during the european debt crisis during the great financial crisis i think we just saw it here in the regional banks so this has to be a priority for the ecb and yes to get together peter i just want to cut to the chase here on contagion i'm looking at deutsche bank i'm looking at the retail french giant bmp paribas same idea they giveaway as well. Peter, we don't have time for the tech dynamics, but it is grim. There's no other way to put it with uh, John, help me here, a 194 1.9405 on Credit Suisse. Do you look at this as a EU regulatory contagion or is it contained to Zurich? It should be contained to Zurich, but again, I think just like the Fed was, the ECB has to acknowledge that they've got to ring fence things and make sure that they put enough firewalls in place actually to help CS, let CS get time, but more importantly, to ensure that there's no chance of this attracting the attention of other banks and you know people pushing on them. That's what happened in the U.S. It's happened past. So, I, I, And I do like what the regulators did in the U.S. I think they were very aggressive on Sunday night. I think there's more to do. They've got to address the core problem, which again is these huge unrealized losses, but it's a step in the right direction. It starts ring fencing it and making sure that people understand there is time for these things to work out. The core problem is also, though, that regulators missed some of the red flags, not only uh, with respect to Credit Suisse and now having to go back and rethink some of the uh, statements as the SEC raised flags, but also over in the U.S., where there wasn't even a chief risk officer at SVB. I'm wondering, from your perspective, at what point does the market lose faith in the ability of regulators to flag risks that might emerge next? You know, it's... I think one of the problems that we face is the regulators often get caught fighting the last battle. 
And the great financial crisis was all about the big banks, and that's where the focus was. And clearly, we've got to do more to make sure that everyone's well managed, everyone's staying within limits. Um, you know, I think the things that they did by the surface looks completely allowed to do. Now, why you would want to take that much duration risk, that's a separate question. Uh, Pete, I know you like the mid-sized lenders in the United States, particularly after what you heard on Sunday evening. European banks have been a massive trade. And if we can step away from Switzerland just for a moment, Sockgen's down 8%. BMP's down 8%, ING's down 6.5%. Pete, can you say the same thing about the European lenders in this moment they face this morning? Not yet. I prefer the US right now because I think it was way overdone. It was a very isolated case and the regulators come out quickly. So I want to see some sense that the regulators and the ECB are coming out and doing what they can. Then I think it's a buying opportunity. Again, it's been a great run. So I'm much more comfortable right now with the US and the mid-market banks. That's where I want. If anything, I expect news over the weekend where you see some progress from some of these banks and shoring up their capital, whether it's through a merger or getting an infusion. That would be great for the market. So I like that. Europe, I think we got to see where this plays out. It's too early. Hey, Pete, thank you, sir. As always, Peter Cheer there of Academy Securities. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. We are informed by Ken Leon with decades of experience with CFRA and, of course, helping us with American banks. Is it trust and confidence dearth in Zurich, Ken Leon? Is it basically the same as in... Palo Alto or California, is it trust and confidence lack? Is it the same everywhere? Uh, for investors and customers, yes. And uh, it comes in different levels. Uh, this one is concerning because it's global. And for the Fed, they're still in their domain of financial stability, uh, which is an issue. Um, and there's lots of new takers into this story, whether it be Congress, policymakers, what does the central bank in Switzerland say about perhaps uh, their major franchise that has dwindled over the years? It's a pretty sad story. Trading again now at 1.87. John, a nice lift there, but nowhere above, even on the last 10-minute interval, uh, that would need to get to 1.92 or 1.93, and we're not even there. Yeah, 185 is music to nobody's ears. Yeah. Tom, looking at that stock. Let's continue with Ken Leon as Credit Suisse trades this morning. Uh, Ken Leon, as you mentioned, Credit Suisse, a global name. It's all part of our heritage as well. I'm thunderstruck at where Swiss regulators are. Can American regulators regulators apply any sense of force here on a foreign bank? They, they can as, a, as it relates to their assets in the U.S. or the cooperation that you see 
at the highest levels of J-PAL, working with other central banks around the world, the ECB in particular. So, uh, but this one, spot on. The timeline is short. You don't have to May or June. J-PAL Monday said to Michael Barr, uh, head of supervision, is that I need a report and it will be shared with the public by May 1st. Congress will have hearings about what's happened in the U.S. with the regional banks. Uh, a lot of this is trust and confidence versus panic. And then when you get into the weeds, that's the important areas. What happened? When did it happen? What went wrong? And I'd like to share more about that because the other major part of the Fed is bank supervision. Ken, there's a story of trust and confidence when it comes to specific issues, whether it's hedging interest rate risk or whether it's just, you know, management missteps on consecutive years in the case of Credit Suisse. Where are the linkages beyond just simply a lack of confidence? The, the weakness is really getting large banks and, in this, and now smaller banks to invest in technology platforms for compliance and regulation. Michael Corbett of Citigroup for years was told to invest and he didn't. Um, and then there was penalties and hundreds of millions of dollars spent at Citi. Wells Fargo is another example. And you take this at that scale of a global bank, Credit Suisse, um, it's critical to have that. Um, it's taken us five, seven years for all of our uh, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, to do that. But when you get down to mid-sized banks, 100 billion or more, or 10 to 100 billion, they don't have the manpower or the resources to do it like the large banks who've done it well. And on the other side is the Fed has thousands of bank examiners, but after 2018, regulation just stayed very focused and tight uh, for those above 250 billion, not 50. And lo and behold, Barney Frank yeah. is on the board of directors of Signature Bank. Unreal. You know, we're we're going to get theater and Congress on all this, but also the bank examiners and what the banks respond to really matters a lot. Ken, I've got 30 seconds on the clock. There might be some people engaging in this program. Maybe they've never listened or watched this program ever before. They've watched what's happened with banks over the last week and they've taken an interest and they hear us talk about Credit Suisse and they say, credit who? They've never engaged with this lender before. They don't know what this bank does. They're seeing futures down. Ken, why does this bank matter waking up in the United States this morning? This is a global bank. There might be counterparty risk uh, for some of the U.S. banks. Um, it's also you know, significant in the cog of the capital markets. So if it's not related to direct lending in the U.S., it does matter significantly for the capital markets. And that's where you really have to look and what it impacts in terms of uh, debt instruments, derivatives, as well as equities. Ken, appreciate your perspective. Really do. Thank you, sir. Ken Leon there of CFRA. We are well-timed here. Joining us is David Rubenstein. You know him, of course, from the Carlyle Group, his public service to the nation and the Carter administration, and David Rubenstein, peer-to-peer -peer conversations. And as David knows, I want to say, we'll rip up the script. Today, we're going to rip up the script. I've got eight ways to go here. You, with your philanthropy, have a wonderful linkage between financial elites and the government. In America, we've seen the government begin to step in in this crisis. Are you surprised that European and particularly Swiss authorities have not stepped in on Credit Suisse? 
I am surprised that nothing has happened yet, but it took a day or two for the United States to get uh, its act together, so I suspect it'll take a day or two there. But remember, the U.S. regulatory scheme is much different than the Swiss one or the European one, and so we have one regulatory scheme, more or less, in the United States. They have many different ones in Europe, and I don't think the Swiss authorities have quite the authority mm -hmm. over the banking system that the U.S. one does have over our banking system. David, that's what I wanted to go to. What would you suppose stepping in? looks like in Switzerland? What does that look like? Well, what we did in the United States is we protected <laughs> depositors. So we didn't protect creditors, and we didn't protect shareholders, and we didn't protect really employees. Um, I suspect the Swiss situation is more complicated because the existence of the bank is more at stake uh, here, and it's such a well-known bank around the world that I think the Swiss authorities have uh, to worry more than just about the depositors. Uh, the chairman of the, Swiss, of the Saudi National Bank, who I do know, uh, made a statement that you broadcast recently uh, saying that they were not going to put more money in. And that would probably be a, a bit of a blow to Credit Suisse. Were you surprised by that, that he said that out loud on the record? I was surprised by it. I just uh, saw him a few weeks ago, and um, I think uh, you know they have a lot of authority in, uh, uh, in uh, Swiss, the Saudi National Bank. And I suspect they, they wanted to protect their investment, but obviously there's a reason why they're not doing that. Well, there's a theory that perhaps Middle Eastern investors would want to come in and help Credit Suisse more substantially, not just because they think it's a good investment, so that they could do business and have that be the European node. Is that basically off the table based on the very public comments that we heard earlier this morning? I don't have enough information to say that that's the case. I, I was surprised that the uh, Saudi National Bank chairman did not want to put more money in, but he may have be under some regulatory constraints to put more money in. So I just don't have all the facts there. But I do know that there's a lot of Middle East interest in Swiss, in, Saudi, in, in uh, Credit Suisse. And over the years, there have been a lot of uh, activity between the Credit Suisse and <coughs> Middle East bankers and Middle East investors. We'll just have to wait and see. David, you said that this is more complicated because of all the interconnectedness of Credit Suisse and the global banking system. And I'm wondering what your concern is, whether you think that the worry in market this morning markets uh, is warranted based on how systemic it really is. Well, I think in the United States, uh, the regulators thought over the weekend they had solved the problem. Clearly, they haven't really solved the problem because some banks are still um, weak, weaker than they would prefer to be. Uh, I think the contagion that spread to Europe is something that the regulators here probably did not anticipate. And so we'll just have to wait and see what the impact is. <clears throat> right now, the U.S. banking system is in pretty good shape. There's obviously some weak banks, but ba basically we don't have a mm -hmm. systemic run on the major banks in the United States. Um, I would say that Credit Suisse is a major bank in Europe, not as important as it was many years ago, but still an important bank. So if it were to have serious problems, it'd have a, more of a contagion effect than, than, than uh, Silicon Valley Bank would have on our uh, banking system. Some people talk, other people do. In March of 2008, you did. Carlyle Capital, to be polite, was challenged to be polite about it. You stepped up verbally and with action to help make people whole. How do we affect that now with this complex crisis that we have? Well, that was uh, something that was unanticipated by many people. It came about in part because uh, uh, the concerns about the regulatory system and interest rates were going up. I think here the Federal Reserve probably did not spend as much time worrying about the impact on banks and their uh, right. ability to survive when interest rates were going up. 
the, the Fed was mostly focused, okay. I think, on inflation and not worry about the bank regulatory system. And I think they may have been caught uh, unaware of how serious the problem was. With- so what should Powell do here? These are delicate questions. I don't want to put you in a corner, Mr. Rubenstein, but you've got tangible experience here. Well, my experience may not be that relevant for this, but I would say uh, the big decision that has to be made uh, by the Federal Reserve is do they increase interest rates by 50 basis points, 25 basis points, or no basis points? And the conventional wisdom in Washington today, and that conventional wisdom is not always right, is that the Fed will probably go with 25 basis points. If they were to go with no, no increase at all, people would think that they've lost their interest in fighting inflation. They go with 50 basis points, it might be seen as too much for some of the banking uh, uh, companies right now. So I suspect 25 basis points is the split the baby uh, decision that's most likely. Meanwhile, earlier this morning, we got this letter from BlackRock's Larry Fink, and he was talking about potentially a slow-rolling crisis in the U.S. with the first shoe to drop, Silicon Valley Bank, the next with some regional banks. And then he pointed to a third shoe to drop where he pointed at private equity, and he pointed to some of these less liquid assets that have built up in, in, in size over the past few years. Do you agree that that could be a node of concern in the next couple of months and year ahead? Private equity is not uh, the same situation as banks. Uh, we don't have typically runs on private equity firms. And so the bank, the private equity firms did quite well in the last recession. They survived it and they came back stronger than ever. The private equity firms are much bigger than they were the last time around. So I don't see any weakness at all that we have to worry about in terms of a regulatory uh, situation with private equity firms. I think we're not the problem. I think uh, other uh, banking regulated companies may have bigger problems but not private equity firms in my view. Uh, clearly, private equity firms have illiquid assets, but we've known that for a long time, and we don't have a run on the bank where we have depositors pulling their money out anytime they want to do so. So that's not a problem for us. We had a run on the bank elsewhere, and the decision that was made by authorities was to make depositors whole. We understood there was an FDIC limit on deposits of 250000 It looks like that's gone. Ken Griffin, I believe, spoke to the Financial Times recently of Citadel and talked about maybe eroding American capitalism, that this was perhaps a mistake. Do you take a view on that yet? Well, I think the Fed had, the federal government had to do something. And had they not protected depositors, there would have been runs on many banks. So I think by protecting depositors, I think that was a wise decision. Whether they should have protected creditors as well as shareholders, that's a more complicated issue. Um, Ken's a very smart person, has an outstanding record, and I I know him quite well. I I, I really respect him. But I, I don't think that uh, our capitalist system is falling apart. Um, it has challenges that it always has from, uh, from time to time. But right. I think the system is going to survive for sure. In the short time we have here, quickly, commercial real estate. I saw an Orange County shopping mall having challenges in the last 24 hours. Is commercial real estate the shadow you're concerned about? Well, when interest rates go up, commercial real estate values and other real estate values typically go down. So we've seen that impact right now. I, I suspect there are going to be some... Um, dislocations in commercial real estate, but this has been going on for a while because uh, ever since uh, there was the tech bubble burst that we saw about a year or so ago, uh, real estate has been challenged and as interest rates have gone up, real estate has been challenged. And I think the real estate developers are are sensitive to this. I don't see a widespread uh, collapse in the real estate market at all. I think the real estate developers have learned their lessons from 10 years ago. They haven't made personal guarantees the way they used to. And I suspect that the industry will, will get through this. David, appreciate your time this morning. 
My we expected to have a different conversation, but things are moving fast. Well, next time we'll talk about uh, my interview with uh, I'm interviewing next week uh, Jane Fraser, who is the CEO well, that's of, that's uh, of Citibank, and I'll be doing that interview for Bloomberg and for others. So thank you. Very cool, David. Thank you, David Rubenstein there of the Carlisle Group. And just a programming note for you, you can watch David's interview with the former Commerce Secretary and PSP Partners Chairman Penny Pritzker on the David Rubenstein Show, Peer-to-Peer Conversations tonight, 9pm in New York on Bloomberg TV. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Joining us now with wonderful perspective as we had David Rubenstein earlier and Dr. Rubini, Lisa Shallot joins the Chief Investment Officer for Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. It would be inappropriate for her to speak for Mr. Gorman and the executives of Morgan Stanley activity in the last four hours. Lisa, I must ask, because you are with Wealth Management, how do you contain the phone calls? How do you contain deposit inflows of a certain flight to quality? Look, I think the most important thing that we're talking to clients about right now is getting folks to understand the difference between what happened in the great financial crisis in 2007 and 2008 and what's happening now. Uh, In 2007, 2008, we had a massive credit problem. Uh, There was a quality of credit uh, default risk uh, set of issues. Uh, this go round, the the assets that need to be revalued are not, you know, mortgages and real estate. Uh, they are in in many cases, you know, sovereign bonds of governments, uh, and those are very different things. And so, you know, for the handful of banks that have found themselves in a, a situation where their funding model on the asset side of their balance sheet. Uh, you know, needs to be or or should have been more aggressively marked and and risk managed. Uh, that's really the issue. What what is fascinating here is the role of psychology, right? When you get bank runs, when you get depositors starting to worry about uh, you know the integrity of their deposits, that is a very different, very different dynamic. And I could suggest to you that there is a scenario where you know the situation at Silicon National Bank did not have to happen uh, if all of the folks uh, who were the major deposit holders, who were major holders of loans there, who were major account holders, didn't suddenly in mass decide, uh, not only to all withdraw at the same time, but to literally put that on social media as uh, an action. 
uh, you know, that we are living in very, very different times. Yep. And um, we have to kind of understand how important it is, uh, the role that regulators play, the role that, uh, you know, capital reserves and capital buffers play, and how important, you know, having uh, the integrity of those stress tests uh, is. And so we talk about, you know, there are the haves and, and you know, the less haves uh, and the folks who've really, you know, been put through those paces uh, and those stress tests and the folks who have been allowed uh, because of their size or their organizational structure uh, to perhaps experience, you know, quote unquote, a lighter touch of that regulatory oversight. Lisa, there is a back of the envelope conversation happening right now. Maybe it's too simplistic, but it goes a little something like this. After what we saw develop in the United States last week, the focus quickly went back on duration risk, the mismanagement of interest rate exposure, interest rate risk. And Lisa, because of that, I think given the losses you've seen in treasuries over the last 12 months, people just instantly said, well, wait a minute, what about Europe and what we've seen develop there in the last year, Lisa? Can you speak to that? Uh, yeah, look, I, I think, um, you know, this is a huge wake up call. It's a wake up call, however, uh, that that shouldn't be a brand new thing. Um, you know, understanding if you're going to own financials, if you're going to be an investor in that sector, uh, you know, understanding the funding model, understanding, you know, how a bank is generating, uh, you know, cash flows to pay depositors and to attract uh, depositors is a key part of your fundamental analysis. And so there's an element of this, you know, where 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 this is less about uh, immediate contagion. Again, remember in the great financial crisis, there was a lot of this that was about, you know, cross counterparty credit risk. That's not what this is about. These are about individual banks uh, who potentially uh, have not, you know, were overly aggressive in, in funding themselves out the curve uh, during an episode of central bank tightening. Uh, and, you know, that is, a you know, one could say, you know, somewhat, you know, uh, economics 101. Uh, and uh, so I do I think that there may be some other mistakes out there. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, but I do think that that the systemic interconnection of them is very different than in 2008. Uh, 2007, 2008. Just quickly, Lisa, given that perhaps you don't see the systemic relevance in the same kind of way as 2008, do you still think that it's important for the central banks to hike rates to combat inflation, to make sure that inflation doesn't get out of hand in the longer term? Or do you think that there is enough breaking that it's time to pause? Um, I, unfortunately, you know, I have worried about central banks being late to the party uh, on this inflation challenge. Uh, I think that uh, if central bank credibility has a chance of being preserved, uh, I think that uh, the Fed especially, uh, and then secondarily, the ECB needs to continue on their tightening campaign. They need to make clear uh, as they have what their intentions are, that their goal is to fight uh, inflation, to defend the integrity of you know these fiat currencies. Uh, and uh, not doing so has much longer term structural damage to, to 
uh, the economy in terms of inflation risk premiums, overall policy term premiums, and turns into higher for longer rates over long periods of time. So, um, you know, look, for the Fed, you know, they're, they're out is that you know, the regulatory um, and examinatory part of the Fed is separate from the central bank operations, open market operations. Um, they've got to kind of stay the course, in my humble opinion. And and I think to do anything else um, at this juncture, at least, uh, would really be uh, a misstep. Lisa, thanks for being with us. Lisa Shallot of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.